Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's February 15th, 1969, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. If you were living in Backwater, Florida in 1969, a live concert in your town from the reigning Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, would seem too good to be true. And of course it was, because it was today in history that a struggling single mother from Virginia, one Vicky Jones, was arrested on fraud charges after successfully impersonating Aretha Franklin at multiple sold-out shows. Yeah, and she'd been tracked down by the chief investigator at the Marion County Sheriff's Office, a chap named Towles Bigelow. Surely not. Uh, well, no, that's, that's the <laughs> They've all got real Florida sheriffs yeah. in the story as well. His partner is a bit more boringly named Martin Stevens, uh, and they together tracked down uh, both Vicky Jones, this was her stage name, and her partner in crime, Lavelle Hardy, and arrested them at Ocala's Club Valley Nightclub and immediately threw them in their car and took them to a police station and charged them with false advertising. As you say, their bond was set at $500. But the fascinating thing is that Jones said that she wasn't guilty because she'd basically been kidnapped, fed burgers, um, this is a weird little detail, and kept away from her family and was completely innocent of the crime. She said, I'm not Aretha, I don't look like her, I don't dress like her, and I sure don't have her money, and basically said, I'm not guilty of all of the crimes I've been accused of. Yeah, so her story was that she had been plucked from obscurity, basically, by Hardy, who'd spotted her at her local nightclub singing Aretha Franklin songs, but not pretending to be Aretha Franklin, (laughs) had spotted the business opportunity in marketing her as the real Aretha Franklin and then milking that cash for his personal coffers. But worse than that, hadn't fully told her that that was the plan, taken her on the road, and then when she sussed what was going on, kept her locked up in kind of modern-day slavery. There's so many amazing facets to this story. But just first of all, on the point of you're an Aretha Franklin fan, you've gone to see Aretha Franklin, how would you not know this wasn't Aretha Franklin? (laughs) I know. I think the fact it's 1969 is really worth just taking a moment to pause on because there were doubts apparently in the audience that um, Jones didn't look like the pictures people had seen of Aretha Franklin. But... In those days, all you had was the pictures you'd seen on the album cover yeah. and some fuzzy TV, black and white TV, Ed Sullivan show going on. So they didn't know what she looked like. And she was so good that at the point at which she opened her mouth and started singing, all of those fears were assuaged just because she was such a good 
impressionist that people were willing to buy into it. Maybe they'd also paid their money and they'd had enough booze that they were willing to forgive. Let's talk a little bit about her. So um, she did have a gospel heritage. She was in a gospel group and the reverend who was in charge had said all along that she was his favourite singer, that she was a natural talent. Um, she didn't appear to require any special effort. She had a beautiful voice when she sang. But her name wasn't Vicky Jones. As Arian said, that was her stage name. She was born Mary Jane Jones. And the reason she adopted the stage name was because she wanted to keep her place in the gospel outfit whilst performing in some rather seedy nightclubs. And, of course, this was a time when the sort of songs Aretha Franklin was singing was considered the devil's music by gospel groups. She didn't want her reverend to find out. Mm. But she needed the money. This was her evening side hustle because back home she had a useless alcoholic husband and four children to support. Yeah, she had four boys under the age of 12 at the time. And you can see how she felt like she had a lot in common with Aretha. They were both born in the same year. They were both 27. They both became mothers young. Jones had her first baby at 16. Aretha was just 12 when she had her first child. And they both had these horrible, abusive marriages. It's easy to see why Jones looked up to her. And so she did Aretha Franklin covers as part of her act. And this is where Hardy spotted her. He was 24 at the time, and he had had a very, very minor hit the previous year called Don't Lose Your Groove. It peaked at number 42. But he also had a bit of a niche ripping off James Brown. It wasn't clear whether he actually impersonated him or whether he just ripped him off. Both, mm. I think. I think he, so he would also do James Brown covers, but if he felt he could get away with it, he'd bill himself <laughs> as James Brown. One night only, James Brown and Aretha Franklin. <laughs> that's a pig. Well, Perform at the Pink Garter yeah. in Virginia. I mean, that tells you it's not them, doesn't it? But anyway. So he approached Jones after a show that they both performed at, and he told her that Aretha Franklin was going to perform in Florida and that he could get her a slot as an opening act, probably leaning on his very modest chart success, you know, which would apparently pay her $1,000 for a six-night engagement. She was desperate for money, an opportunity and a chance to meet her idol, you'd assume. So she agreed. I mean, she was so poor, she had to borrow money for the bus there. Mm. I mean, I had a quick look and to drive from Petersburg, Virginia, where she lived to Melbourne, Florida, which is where she ended up. That's a 10 hour drive in a car. So by bus, you're looking at more than 10 hours on the road. She was away from her sons. It was the first time she'd ever been to Florida. So by the time she turned up, she must have been completely emotionally and physically exhausted. And this was the point where Hardy broke the news. There was no Aretha. The concert was an unauthorized setup. And Jones was to go on stage as Aretha. Yeah, so she played three of these gigs. It was called the Aretha Franklin Review in small towns across Florida. And after every performance, the Aretha in question would dash to her dressing room and hide. And I think these were sort of test shows in a way for Hardy. He wanted to know whether he Mm. could pass her off successfully. And having done it in a way that actually he did seem to be getting away with it, he then began talking about this potentially lucrative 10-night tour. I guess he also wanted for Jones to start getting comfortable with the role of not just sort of doing a cover act, but actually trying to inhabit the person of Aretha Franklin. And simultaneously, it seems the story does bear out that she was being kept hostage by him. I mean, I guess if you're thinking, why didn't she just, when she realised what the setup was, turn round and go home again... She literally didn't have the money for the bus fare home. Yeah. So she was stuck there. She was reliant on him to pay her something. And of course, even though the gigs went well and people believed she was Aretha Franklin, he didn't give her any of that money. And he also allegedly threatened her life. He said that he would kill her and toss her body in the ocean. 
Yeah, so she'd performed these three shows, you know, small locations. And this is when Hardy started to get a bit greedy. He booked them into the Hi-Hat Club in Fort Myers, which is a 1,400-seat venue. And apparently when she walked out in her Aretha wig and a floor-length yellow gown modelled on the one that Aretha wore herself, the club's owner, Clifford Hart, said some people who'd seen Aretha before said it wasn't her, but nobody was real sure. And then that hesitation disappeared when she opened her mouth although it's got it's not quite clear how many of them thought that it was actually Aretha because her voice was so good and how many of them were just really really impressed at how much mm. she sounded like Aretha but either way the reception was really ecstatic she was getting standing ovations cheers and this is when Hardy got too greedy he booked the southeastern livestock pavilion in Ocala now I know that sounds like a very provincial name but it is a 4,200 seat venue and the population of Ocala is 22,000 people and he put up posters all around town advertising the concert and this is what finally drew the notice of Aretha Franklin's lawyers that he contacted the Ocala prosecutor Gus Musley who had already brought tickets for himself and his wife who was a big fan of Aretha well, to be fair, you've already said what the population was that's one in five people were going yeah it's not that <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and it was also, I mean, it had come to Aretha Franklin's attention because she was actually in Miami at the time and was basically like, hang on, there's someone who, <laughs> am I performing here or <laughs> what is going on? And so her lawyers then contacted Musler and it was at that stage he realised that the tickets that he held for Aretha Franklin's <laughs> show were not actually to go and see Aretha Franklin. <laughs> So she gets arrested and she spills the beans and she says, look, I'm not Aretha Franklin. I never wanted to pretend to be Aretha Franklin. I'm being held against my will. I'm, this is where the hamburgers come in. All I'm being fed is two hamburgers a day. Mm-hmm. I don't have any autonomy in this situation. I cannot leave. Uh, you need to arrest Hardy as well. And they did. And he had thousands of dollars on his person, whilst Jones had nothing. So that seemed to back up her story. And this ended up in court. And this is where you get to the detail that sounds like it would be in the movie version of this story, but couldn't have possibly happened in real life, but (laughs) it did happen. (laughs) Which is crucial to the case was the judge said to Jones, "Okay, can you sing to me in the courtroom? Because if you legitimately sound like Aretha Franklin, then I might just conclude that no one was ripped off here. And so (laughs) with some hesitancy, apparently, but nonetheless, she did sing in the courtroom... (laughs) And the judgment was, wow, you've got an amazing voice. It was like Simon Cowles, the judge. You've got an amazing voice. And therefore, even though technically you did defraud thousands of spectators at your various performances, your performance was indistinguishable from Aretha Franklin. Therefore, people got their money's worth. No harm done. Goodbye. It's extraordinary precedent to set. They got a good show, so let's forget about (laughs) it. The judgment was kind of, you're amazing. Someone better sign her up immediately. And that's exactly (laughs) what happened. Waiting for her outside the courtroom was a chap called Ray Green, who was a Jacksonville lawyer slash entrepreneur who had just really become fixated on her story as it unfolded in the press. And he signed her up and got her a spot on the Florida leg of Duke Ellington's tour around the country. And Hardy, in case you're wondering what happened to him, he got let off too. And the argument apparently that the judge brought was like, well, he's been milked dry by the legal fees. Like all the proceeds from this fraud have now gone on his legal fees. So what's the point of putting him in prison? So he walked as well. They probably also got him to do his James Brown and they were like, that is also <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Everyone is innocent. He flipped his way out of the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. Likely sneezes had long been thought to be an omen of some sort or a warning from the gods. 
Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.